Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org friendshipwithgod.org or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Then there's a weeping that just like with Esau and Jacob comes before there's any more communication between Jehovah Jesus and the Jewish people. There's this weeping that takes place and that's given in Zechariah 12.10. Zechariah 12.10. I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplications. They shall look upon me whom they have pierced. They're going to take responsibility. They have pierced. They're not going to say the Romans did it. Whom they have pierced. And they shall mourn for him as one mourneth for his only son. There's the weeping. And shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. And then after the weeping, there's this talking between Jehovah Jesus and the Jewish people in Zechariah 13.9. Zechariah 13.9, I will bring the third part through the fire and will refine them as silver as refined and will try them as gold is tried. They shall call on my name and I will hear them and I will say, it's my people. And they shall say, the Lord is my God. See, just like Esau and Jacob, after the weeping, there's talking between Jehovah Jesus and the Jewish people, where the Jewish people say to Jehovah Jesus, you're our God, the Lord is my God. And they say, Jehovah Jesus is my God. And then Jehovah Jesus says to the Jewish people, that's my people, finally. It's my people. Well, he doesn't say finally, that's what I said. But anyway, so the importance of the end of verse four in Genesis 33 is very important where it says, and they wept. There was just this overflowing of affection between Esau and Jacob. The overflowing affection had resulted in them both weeping. You know, weeping is kind of an interesting phenomenon or whatever you want to call it, event, because um, it's this overflowing of emotions, and really it's a literal physical overflowing. I mean, it's interesting how crying happens, you know, because tears, they come into the eyes continuously. There's a gland up here called the lacrimal glands, and that's where the tears enter and flow across the eye. My glasses have scratches in it because I was down at the beach and I scratched my, you know, you shouldn't do that. Anyway, that's what happens with the surface of our eyes. They get all scratched up. But um, I got to get a new pair of glasses, you know, because I scratched them down at the beach. But we don't have to get new eyes all the time. <laughs> so what God does is he, when the tears go over it continuously, it fills in all the scratches, and that's how we see clearly. So This gland does that up there. And then right down here by our nose, there's the lacrimal canal. And so it's constantly sucking off the small amount of tear that the glands are constantly lubricating our eyes with and empties down in the nose. So what happens when you cry is that the lacrimal glands up here, they produce more tears than the lacrimal canal can handle. So there's the overflowing. 
There's the overflowing, and that's why weeping is a nice term. So Jacob and Esau both had this overflow of emotions that resulted in them both crying. But it's precious. It's just precious for us to see, I mean, Esau and Jacob weep together. This is a great sight. Because what we're really seeing here, here's, I mean, who are these guys? These are two old gray-headed men, right? They're twins again. They're little boys. They're twins again. And in their tears, they're twins again. And from this point, they remain friends for the rest of their lives. Jacob and Esau were twins. And a part, you know, a part of the Arab people are from Esau. A part of the Arab people are from Esau. So the reality is that the Jewish people and the Arab people, they're related. Of course, and through Esau, they're, through, they're, they're really related through Abraham and through Isaac. And so what we're really witnessing here is a prophecy of the real roadmap to peace in the Middle East. This reunion between Jacob and Esau is symbolic of when the Jewish people and the Arab people will one day be reconciled and they'll be friends again. And that's predicted for us in Isaiah 19, Isaiah 19, 22, where it says, and the Lord shall smite Egypt, he shall smite and heal it, and they shall return even to the Lord, talking about Egyptians, and he shall be entreated of them and shall heal them. And that day there shall be a highway out of Egypt to Assyria, and the Assyrian shall come into Egypt, and the Egyptian into Assyria, and the Egyptians shall serve with the Assyrians. In that day shall Israel be the third with Egypt and with Assyria, even a blessing in the midst of the land, whom the Lord of hosts shall bless, saying, Blessed be Egypt, my people, and Assyria, the work of my hands, and Israel, mine inheritance. So what we're going to see here is a reconciliation. What we see here is a reconciliation between Jacob and Esau, but it's really a prophecy of the reconciliation between the Jewish people when they're reconciled with the Arab people, and they're going to share as co-equals in the blessing of God. That's a great thing. Now, when you look at verse 4, what does it say about how, again, how did Esau come to Jacob? How did he come? And he, he ran, he ran, <laughs> he ran, he ran, he ran, okay, he ran, okay. That's why the country's called Iran, because they don't know. <laughs> but the word ran is very significant. He ran with all his might to Jacob. I mean, the word ran is very important. It shows us what we need to do. When there's a break in a relationship, it's time for a Genesis 33, verse 4 experience, running like Esau did. Esau ran to meet him, embraced him, fell on his neck, kissed him, they wept. But see, Esau, it's very important he ran. He didn't just sit there and say, well, look who's coming. (laughs) Is it my old scheming, conniving, grabbing, stealing, cheating little kid brother no good? I should have killed him when I had the chance. Well, I think I'm just going to sit here and let him come a-begging. He's got a lot of apologizing to do before I get up <laughs> and go to meet him. You know, he needs to get a little run. No, he didn't do that. He, no, he, it, that's why the word ran in verse 4 is so important because it shows how Esau yearned to be reconciled with Jacob. He missed Jacob. He wanted him back again as his brother. He's the only brother he's got. You know, I mean, you've got to admire Esau. 
You gotta admire Esau here when it says Esau ran to meet him. And when Jacob saw Esau run, that spoke volumes to Jacob. When Jacob saw Esau run to him, that just melted Jacob. And in verse four when it says Esau ran to meet him, isn't it kind of funny how it only talks about Esau running to meet Jacob? I mean, why didn't Jacob run to meet Esau? Wouldn't you expect that both would run? Why, why wasn't only Esau's running? Okay, his bowing seven times. Another reason? You ever seen Chester run in gun smoke? <laughs> why doesn't Chester ever run? Because <laughs> he's lame. <laughs> he's got a limp. <laughs> you can't run when you got a limp, you know? Chester doesn't run. All right. So, but that truth of Esau running and Jacob not able to run because he's lame, he's got his lip out of joint, the lip out of joint, he's got his hip out of joint. It points out something very important to us. Because, because we stand back and we look at the site and we say, boy, look at that. Here was Esau. He looked so mighty with his 400 men. He looks so strong. He's running, you know, at the same age. And here's Jacob. He looks so weak. He's got women and children. He looks so frail. He's limping along. And you ask yourself the question, wow, which one has the power of God? <laughs> the weak one. <laughs> the frail one. That's the one that God made to have the power Jacob, weak, frail in himself, strong in God. And how is Christians described? How are we described? Paul describes us in 1 Corinthians 4.11. Even unto this present hour, we both hunger and thirst, are naked, buffeted. We have no certain dwelling place. We labor, working with our own hands. Being reviled, we bless. Being persecuted, we suffer it. Being defamed, we entreat. We are made as the filth of of the world, and are the off-scouring of all things unto this day. You know, he talked about in 1 Corinthians 15, 19, 1 Corinthians 15, 19, he said, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. So who else in the Bible now, who else in the Bible ran for reconciliation? The father of the prodigal, exactly. In Luke 15, 18, it says, when the prodigal says, I will arise and go to my father and I will say, he's rehearsing it, see, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before thee and I'm no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And he arose and came to his father, but when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him, had compassion, and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. The father of the prodigal son, he ran to the son. When the son saw his father, the prodigal son saw his father, that was run. That was the greatest message of all. He'd been reconciled. He was restored. And you know who else runs? God runs. God runs. God runs to a sinner who turns to him for mercy. God runs to a child, a child of God who's fallen away and is coming back to God. That's, that's what this account of the prodigal son is all about. It's God as the father who runs to welcome back his wayward son. And you know when else God runs? When the Jewish people return to Jehovah Jesus as God, Jehovah Jesus will run to them because he yearns for them, as it says in Jeremiah 31.20. Jeremiah 31.20. My dear son, is he a pleasant child? For since I spake against him, I do earnestly remember him still. Therefore my bowels are troubled for him. I will surely have mercy upon him, saith the Lord. 
In Hosea 14.4, God speaks about this. He says, 14.4, I will heal their backslidings. I will love them freely, for mine anger is turned away from him. In Judges 10.16, God says, his soul was grieved for the misery of Israel. And in Micah 7, Micah 7.18, Micah really gives the fulfillment of his name. Michael, Micha, it means who is like God. Those names mean that. He says, and so he uses his own name in Micah 7, 18, where he says, who is God? Who is God like unto thee that pardoneth iniquity, passeth by the transgression of the remnant of his heritage? He retaineth not his anger forever because he delighteth in mercy. He will turn again. He will have compassion upon us. He will subdue our iniquities and thou will cast all their sins into the depth of the sea. Now, That means that God looked at Esau running to Jacob, and we can just hear God saying, boy, like Esau there is running, I delight in running to the one who sinned against me and wants reconciliation and friendship. Oh, this is something in verse four where it says, and Esau ran to meet him. Esau's running, and it could be said to Esau, you know, if you stop, someone tried to stop Esau, Esau, what are you doing? Esau, you know, you sure you wanna run? I mean, what about these 400 men? They see you running to the one who did these things against you. Aren't you concerned about your image? I mean, Esau, it's like, you know, tighten it up a little bit, you know? And Esau would say, are you kidding? I love Jacob. I don't care about my image. Let them all see me run to reconcile with my twin brother. Let them, see, let them all see me cry. And if someone said to Esau, said, well, he's running, Esau, don't you remember how he tricked you? Out of your birthright, he impersonated you, stole his blessing from your father. Are you sure you want to do this? Esau says, I don't care about any of that. Right now, that's not important. What's important is Jacob and the opportunity to love my brother. I need him. He needs me. We need each other. So we look at verse 4 and we say, run, Esau, run. You know? And now we say to ourselves, what about us? How's our running? Are we running to reconcile with those that we're angry with or been angry with. See, verse four is for us. You know, and Esau ran. Can we run like Esau and make up with those who've wronged us? You know, that's what you and I need in the church, in our families, and in the world. We need this spirit of verse four, and Esau ran to meet him. God looked down on this verse four, and when God saw and Esau ran to meet him, we can imagine that God, you know, had had one of his hast thou considered moments in heaven and says that to everyone here, hey, everyone, you got to see this. Look at Esau and Jacob. And then God would say to everyone, you know what this is like? Psalm 133, verse one. Behold, look, everybody, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. God would say, look, everyone, isn't that just like the precious ointment? upon the head that ran down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard, and went down to the skirts of his garment? I mean, he would say, Psalm 133, verse 3, really? Isn't that just like the dew of Hermon as the dew that descended upon the mountains? You know what I'm going to do? God would say, I'm going to command the blessing on that, even life forevermore. See, God loved to see what happened in verse 4, and he loves to see when we run to make up. He loved to see Abraham. When Abraham said, the strife, it's over. Stop the strife with Lot. When there was limited pasture for both their herds, 
And Abraham said in Genesis 13, 8, Genesis 13, 8, Abraham said unto Lot, let there be no strife, I pray thee, between me and thee and between my herdmen and thy herdmen. We be brethren. And God tells us how he causes there to be this reconciliation. How can there be reconciliation? Well, how can there be reconciliation? He says in Jeremiah 32, 39, I will give them one heart, one way that they may fear me forever for the good of them and for their children after them. See, when we're at war with someone, it's no good for us. It eats us up physically. It harms our health. And God gives one heart. It's for the good of us. And it's no good for our children. As they watch this bitterness destroy us, God gives one heart. It's for the good of the children. God gives one heart, one way. Love God, love others. That's for our good for children as well. It grieves God when we're at war with another person. He says, stop it. He says, stop it, and like Esau, run to reconcile. See, he said in John 13, 35, by this shall all men know that you're my disciples, if you have love one to another. We Christians, we need to be open to reconciliation. When a Christian says, no, never, I'll never reconcile with that enemy of mine, he may be asking God to write him a premature death notice. You know how important it is for us as Christians, to not be at odds with each other. It's a matter of the world looking at us and believing or not believing that the Lord Jesus Christ was sent by the Father. That's what he said in John 17, 20, 21, that they all may be one as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. See, our unity is vital. In 1 Corinthians 1, 10, he says, I beseech you, there be no divisions among you. You be perfectly joined together. Ephesians 4, 3, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit. 1 Peter 3, 8, he says, love as brethren. Hebrews 13, 1, let brotherly love continue. 1 John 3, 14, we love the brethren. Romans 12, 10, be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love. Ephesians 4.32, be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. Colossians 3.13, forbearing one another and forgiving one another, if any man have a quarrel against any. See, when we as Christians, when we reconcile with each other and the world sees it, we show the world that there is a way for them to reconcile with God. But when, when we as Christians do not reconcile with each other, the world sees it and says, there's no way to reconcile with God. And you know what all these verses are really saying to us? They're saying, run, run, forgive. Love is brothers, make up, reconcile, run, run. Verse four, and Esau ran to meet him. And so Jacob looks back over what happened. And Jacob says, I just reconciled with my brother Esau. But the real reason I reconcile with my brother Esau is because I reconciled with God. Just like it says in Proverbs 16, 7, when a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. You know, I, I'm talking about reconciliation here, but since this passage is here, let me just leave for just a moment to, to point out something. It's very important for us to recognize that the Bible is the word of God. And we have the word of God. I bring this out because I speak to so many dear Orthodox Jewish rabbis who they can't tell the difference between what the Bible says and what the Talmud and their commentators say, especially Rashi. And for example, I was speaking to the old, old Orthodox rabbi from Jerusalem about Cain's offering. I was trying to make the point that, 
you know, that Cain worked very hard and brought a reasonable offering, like the Orthodox work very hard and try to bring their offering in keeping the 613 laws in Judaism. But, but God said no. He required the blood offering that Abel brought. And then he told me, he says, oh, no. He says, you know why he rejected Cain's offering? I said, no. He says, because he says, it says Cain brought bad fruit. <laughs> Not good fruit. I said, I told him, the Bible doesn't say that. He says, oh, it does. So we looked at the Hebrew Bible together, and it just says, the fruit from the earth is what it says. And he says, oh, it must be Rashi. You know? And so I bring this up because one of the Targums in the Talmud says here about this passage that the reason Esau and Jacob wept was because Jacob had a pain in his neck and Esau had a toothache. <laughs> I, I just I'll, I'll point that out. Because the Lord Jesus Christ was very aware of all these wrong, misleading interpretations from the Talmud and the commentaries. That's why he said, look, you have heard that it was said, but I say unto you. And when he said, you've heard that it was said, he was talking about the Talmud and the commentaries. Now, since you've not been misled by the Talmud and the rabbinic commentaries, I don't bring it up. But this is when I couldn't resist because of the, the pain in Jacob's neck and Esau's toothache, <laughs> the reason for the weeping. All right. I mean, I tried studying Genesis in Hebrew with a dear Jewish friend, but I had to stop because within reverse, all I heard was, do you know why this is? And then there would be this Talmudic or Rashi fairy tale extension and where there's no support for it. That's why Israel Restoration Ministries is hard because all this misleading teaching, it's hard to restore Israel. Anyway, but there's something else that's very significant. Come back to the text. There's something very significant here in verse 7. When you see the position, look at verse 7. When you see the position of Joseph in relation to his mother, and you compare that to the position of the other children in relation to their mothers, do you see anything different about Joseph's position in relation to his mother, Rachel? You have to look at it. Verse 7 there, verse 7 and 8. You see there, you know, you can really see it in verse 6 and 7. It's talking about the relation of the, the, the position relation, the positional relation. That's right. See, Joseph came before. It states that clearly in all the other cases, the mothers came first, then their children, but not Joseph. Joseph came first, then his mother. I mean, have you ever noticed how, how little kids just don't really get into taking up the offenses and the feuds in a family? I mean, you know, parents tell their kids, you know, look, this person's our enemy. He did this and this, that to us, so we don't like this person. Our family doesn't like this person, you know? And the older kids get that. Oh, yeah. But then the family, you know, the family sees that person and all the other kids draw back, you know, give them the evil eye, you know, because the group is tight-ranked, right? Except for two-year-old Cassidy, you know? <laughs> and she hasn't gotten the message, so she just breaks rank and she just runs out there with a big hug, right? She doesn't know. She's too young. That's Joseph. See, Joseph in verse 7, when it says, and after came Joseph near. Joseph's at the youngest. He's only six years old. And in the heart of little six-year-old Joseph is a desire to run into the arms of Uncle Esau. And then looking at Joseph, God says, Isaiah eleven six, a little child shall lead them. A little child shall lead them. Now, closing verse 5 and 8 is where Esau speaks. And he's, he asks about the animals. He asks about the people. He says nothing about past offenses. It's very important what we see from this, the reconciliation never bring up the past again. They're buried. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word this morning and help us, Lord, to 
learn from what you recorded for us here in Jesus' name. Amen. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional verse. Now, Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org, or you can write Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711-330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. That's S-A-N-T-E-E. Santee, California, 92071. Or you can email Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. Sunday Night Church is back. Starting September 25th, join Friendship with God Bible teacher Tom Cantor at the new Friendship with God Fellowship every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Join us early each Sunday at 4.30 p.m. for food and fellowship with Sunday evening services to follow at 5.30 p.m. On opening day, September 25th, we'll have Phil's Barbecue with special guest musician Jim Earp. Enjoy encouraging teaching from our Bible teacher Tom Cantor in a relaxed and family-friendly atmosphere. Sunday Night Church is back, so join us at the Friendship with God Fellowship every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum at 10946 Woodside Avenue North in Santee, California. For more information, call us at 800-247-3051, 1-800-247-3051, or visit friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org for the Friendship with God Fellowship.